welcome back to the Literacy Lunch Break. I'm your host, Marjorie Botari, and I am so excited to introduce our guest today. Lindsay Kemeny is a dedicated teacher, parent, and author who understands the power of structured literacy firsthand. Lindsay shares stories from the classroom discussing the challenges and successes of implementing structured literacy. Join us as we uncover practical strategies for teachers and gain insight into how classroom experiences can drive meaningful change. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you start just by sharing a little bit of your journey as a teacher and how you came to realize the importance of structured literacy in the classroom? Yeah, well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited. And, you know, something pretty big, I guess, happened in my life, which brought me to this, what we call structured literacy. Um, and that has to do with my son. Um, but let me back up and say, I've always loved to teach reading. It's always been my favorite thing to do. And when I graduated, I taught second grade for about five years. And then I took a break um, to stay home with my children for a little bit. And then I returned to the classroom and I was teaching kindergarten. And this first year I was teaching kindergarten, it was also when my son was in second grade. And we had known for a while that he was struggling to learn to read. I remember becoming really alarmed when he was in preschool because it was so hard for him to learn the letter names and sounds. And he's my third child, so my other two didn't struggle like this, and I was doing all the same things. And I was doing all the things I had been taught in college and in my early years of teaching, and it was kind of embarrassing because I'm like, I'm a teacher, and I can't help my own son learn to read. What is happening? And so it was uh, the end of his second grade year when we finally decided to do some outside testing and we found out that he has dyslexia and that is just that completely changed me I remember just this moment when his teacher I ran into her in the hall and I said so they think he has dyslexia and she was like oh maybe we need to change some things in his IEP and I was like yeah and it just hit me like, why don't I know anything about dyslexia? And then as I started learning, I became frustrated because it's the most commonly diagnosed learning disability. If it's so commonly diagnosed, why wasn't I ever taught about it? And so it just kind of started this, you know, like it was the snowball effect because what do students with dyslexia need to learn to read? What does everyone need to learn to read? What happens in the brain when you learn to read? And this is how I came upon, you know, what we now call the science of reading, right? Just research behind reading. And I was so upset because I learned that some of the things I had been taught were not only aligned with research, but had been debunked by research. And so... (laughs) That was really hard. So I just had to make some changes. Like I had to make changes with my son and then everything I was doing with my son, I started applying in the classroom and it was amazing. The difference. Amazing. Like I just, I feel like I have so much clarity where before I was so confused. I didn't know what to do. Um, I have these struggling readers, but you know, we're just going to keep reading and hopefully it's going to click. And now I feel like, you know, I have the tools that I need and really, um, I like I'm grateful because I my son kind of taught me that right through this experience. Right. Yes. And I think that's so powerful because 
you know, so many other parents that are educators have a similar story, right? Like I taught and we often think as educators, we don't know what the home life is like. And so I think that sometimes tends to be like, well, maybe they didn't have access to books or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And then when we have the opportunity to know, well, no, this is different, right? Like we know what that home life is like. Is it something that I'm missing as an educator, right? And I think that's something that's important in education to really kind of step back sometimes and say, let's look at the way we teach, not the homes or the background of our students, but really let's look at what's happening in the classroom. And I think that's such a powerful tool to do. And I think so many people have, you know, those similar stories of, I was so shocked as an educator how I couldn't help my own child. Um, And I think that's, as you just mentioned, what you were doing with your son, you know, you started to do it in your classroom and you started to see, you know, the impact of that. So that kind of brings me into the next question, your book, Seven Mighty Moves, which is absolutely phenomenal. And I just have to say, I appreciate reading a resource that's so easy to read. It's so clearly defined. It's simple to understand and so practical. So thank you for creating a resource for educators that really just allows educators to take a look, learn something new, and then go and put it into practice. So as you wrote that book, obviously you started to make some shifts in your teaching. Was there a specific classroom experience that stands out to you as your turning point in kind of shifting to the science of reading or that structured literacy approach? Yeah, so there's a few different things that stand out, but let me start with, you know, that first year I was teaching kindergarten. This is another, so I told you about my son. That was a huge turning point. But another thing is that I was starting to get uneasy that year with some of the things I had been taught, even before my son was diagnosed. And it was, as I said, my first year teaching kindergarten. In kindergarten, you automatically spend a lot of time doing letter names and sounds. And I'd pull the kids back to my table, so excited. Now I'm going to show you how you can blend those sounds together and read words. This is, you know, going to be amazing. But those books that I had were those predictable, repetitive texts filled with sound symbol correspondences that I had not taught them. And you know those predictable books. It's like we cleaned up the garage, we cleaned up the kitchen, we cleaned up the, you know, bedroom. And yeah, and so I found myself having to say, oh, wait, stop. You can't sound this one out. Mm -hmm. Look at the picture. Does it give you a clue? And I was taught to say those things. And I never really thought about it. I didn't think twice about it before when I was teaching second grade. But now that I was teaching kindergarten, I was like, oh my gosh, I am giving my students the wrong idea of what reading is. And I want them to practice and solidify those sound symbol correspondences. And we're not, Uh, you know, this is just, so that was just my first little, hmm, this is, this is weird. Like, I don't, you know. I don't like this. <laughs> that's I don't know if, if I would have dug deeper. I hope I would have. Then my son was diagnosed. And then the next year in kindergarten, I implemented decodable books in my classroom. And I wrote, you know, uh, over the years, I've wrote, written several grants to get de- good decodables. And so I remember that year I had the decodables in front of my students and I, this one little, little boy was sounding out and he, and reading that decodable and he looked up at me and he just yelled, Mrs. Kemeny, 
I am actually reading the words. And it was so cute. Like he couldn't, you know, usually we're all kind of a little bit quiet right now. And he was so excited and it was just so fun because his enthusiasm was just boiling over. And, uh, and so that was a moment when for me, I was like, yes, see, yes. like this is what they need. And he realizes, he realizes, oh, I'm actually reading, reading you know? the words. And I think, uh-huh. you know, when I was reading your book, I remember reading that story and, yeah. and maybe we'll get back to the other girl who, you know, was reading that predictable text. Um, but thinking about that, you, you talk a little bit about, you know, sometimes decodable text gets a bad rap, right? Oh, it's so boring. It's so that, and for, and you make that good point of, you've never heard a student say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not boring for kids because exactly what you just said, right? It's exciting to be able to break this code. And yeah. what often happens is when we don't give them that access, like we always, there's no debate of teaching letters and sounds. It happens in pre-K. It happens in kindergarten. We sing the ABCs. We say, this is the letter. This is the sound. Oh, here's a book. Oh, but no, you can't sound that one out. Oh no, that one's a rule breaker. Oh no. That, and yeah. what students then learn early on is, oh, there must be a secret code that, that I don't know, right? Like some other kids are able to read, but there must be something wrong with me. I can't figure out this secret code when it's, no, actually we're, we're telling you the, the, here's some letters and sounds, but then I'm telling you to read a completely different way. It doesn't, it doesn't transfer. Yeah. It's confusing. And I would also say if you're frustrated with decodables out there, there are so many more options Mm -hmm. now and like more and more come out and they're just better and better. I feel like, so, um, yeah, I just feel like, you know, look for another series if you've been frustrated. There's a lot right. of good ones out there. And with that, predictable text isn't that exciting either, right? I, I clean the garage. I clean yeah. the, like, I, I don't know that that's it's the most true. I interest either. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I don't think they're any better. So. <laughs> um, so, and again, as we think about that, that leveled text or those predictable readers, you you talked about one of your students who didn't know their letters and sounds, right? But what yeah. happens when you give them a level t- or a level text or a predictable reader? And then suddenly it was like, oh, she was reading. And I'm like, hang on a sec. And that, that was another thing that happened that first year. I was teaching kindergarten because I'm like, I could see what was happening. Okay. I know she doesn't know all her letter names and sounds. She just read that book perfectly. Mm-hmm. So was she really reading? You know, and you can see that the, that's the thing is that it's going to kind of hide what's going on if you don't look a little deeper. So if you're a kindergarten teacher and you're like, no, they're reading, they're reading that book perfectly, but it might be the first grade or second grade teacher who realizes, uh, no, because they were just memorizing the pattern. Exactly. And those in that, it can be so tricky in those younger grades, right? Kindergarten, first grade, we can have a lot of students that look like readers, but have memorized a whole lot of words. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we introduce words they've never seen before, or you can only store so many memories as a whole vis- or words as a whole visual unit. Yeah. All of a sudden. And we, I think that's impactful. You know, we were lucky enough to talk to Brent Conway and he talked a lot about, you know, moving beyond what's just in your classroom. Because I think sometimes in kindergarten, first or second grade, we can think, oh no, these kids are readers. They're leaving me as a reader, but we're not really following to see, well, what happens you know, in those following years, are yeah. these skills that are true skills or are they compensating? 
what happens when those books get harder that you can't guess from context anymore or the pictures you know there's no pictures um, and one I'm teaching first grade now and uh, you'll notice one of the things I say in the book is to have them use their finger to track the words as they read and especially now the beginning of first grade sometimes I get students who they have that habit of you know guessing and memorizing and so or sometimes they're so I make a point to each word because sometimes they'll be like even if it's a decodable some of those simple decodables that are really you know they're pretty short and so they kind of remember they remember and they say it and they're not even looking at the words I can see right. and then I, <laughs> I go wait I want your finger to match your mouth put your finger mm -hmm. and then that just slows them down and then they don't remember that whole string anymore because now they're looking okay and now they're going to decode because their eyes are on the words or actually right? on the and print that, and yeah, you know, yeah not looking up at the ceiling or yeah. at the pictures yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you know the importance of that you do such an excellent job sharing in your book the importance of that for orthographic mapping right we're, yeah. we're not going to map any words if we're staring at a picture if we're staring you know looking yeah. at the teacher or up at the ceiling so i mean that is that is such a, you know, again, something we maybe didn't know. So many educators think back to, you know, oh, does that, does that make sense? Does that, what do you think would belong there? You know, getting students to guess, but what a hard habit that is to break. And, you know, and I think it's, it's something that we just have to know early on. Let's, let's not teach this habit, but if we see students doing it, really the effort and the energy that it takes to make sure that we're breaking those, those habits. It is such a hard, like, that's one of the hardest, you know, habits, I think, when they're doing that and when they're guessers. And I share some ideas of how to, like, break those habits if you can. Well, yes, you need to. Um, <laughs> and then a funny story, I have little videos or QR codes in the book. And so there's little video clips from my classroom, right? And so I had put my phone up and I was videoing as I was working with a student and she was guessing. So I had that and... So I had that video clip to send to Scholastic to put in the book. And there was a, a few problems with the audio. It was a little hard to hear. My class was a little noisy in the background, right? Because it's all like it's, it's a real a, class. It's yeah. real life. Um, and so they wanted me to redo the video to show. And the point of the video is I'm showing like a way to help when students are guessing. Uh, but when they had asked, it was a few months later. And I said, well, like... I can try, but she's not guessing, not guessing anymore. anymore. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, will you just try? I'm like, okay. You know, I set up my phone. We did it. And, you know, I, I had to tell them, well, there's good news and bad news. To I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the good news is she's not guessing anymore. The bad news is you're going to have to just stick with that original video because right. she's not doing it anymore. So I was just like celebrating because it is so hard. It's such a hard habit to break. Yeah. And, and you do such a good job in the book sharing that, you know, if we don't break that habit or if, first of all, again, let's not teach that habit because it, yeah. what we know, it's actually what poor readers do, right? It is not what proficient yeah. readers do, right. but if they are taught that habit, the older they get, the harder that is the break, to break, the more time, the more energy that takes. And so we mm -hmm. need to just provide this instruction early on. Yeah. So as we think about those, you know, those seven moves that you can make in a classroom, they were all so powerful and they're all so necessary, right? We need to make these shifts. But if I'm a teacher and, you know, this is really my, I'm starting to dig into the science of reading, starting to learn about structured literacy, 
and maybe seven moves <laughs> seems like a lot right away. Do you have a recommendation of where to begin? Yeah, it's a good question and it's hard for me to answer because I'm like, oh, they're all so all important. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I will tell you that one of the first changes I made, okay, that's easy. It's because we were just talking about it is simply to stop using those strategies based on the three queuing method, which is what we we're talking about where they're guessing mm -hmm. where they're, you know, they skip over the word, read the rest of the sentence and then guess the word, or they look at the picture to tell them the word. Um, so that's just something to stop doing, but you've got to have the right tools for them in order to do that. So that's where like right. decodable text for beginning readers comes in because they're going to be guessing if you give them those predictable repetitive texts because right. it's the only way to read it. So, and then a way to help prevent it is that good phonics and phonemic awareness instruction, you know, so, but here's the thing, if you're overwhelmed, just start with one thing, see right. what you need um, and what you can do and start small and think baby steps. Don't get overwhelmed because it is, it's overwhelming to be like, wait, I have to overhaul my literacy instruction all at once. No, just start with one thing, get a handle on that and then add something else and then add something else and it can be gradual and that's okay. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so important, right? Because yes, we, we, we want to teach with urgency. We want to make sure that we're making these shifts and these changes, but at the same time, we have to think in practical terms as well, right? When we think about what a teacher is responsible for, you know, and I think that's one of the pieces too is yes, there's a ton of research out there, but we don't have access to all of that as educators. We don't have time to even sift through all of the research that's available or right. all of that learning. So again, that's why I just appreciate resources like your book, because I think it's something that teachers can grab. It's a, it's a meaningful read. You share the research, you share the practical techniques. And so, you know, as you start to make those shifts, that's the best advice I think you can give someone is just start because as you said, you start to see you start to see the results and I think mm -hmm. you start to make one shift and it really lends itself to so many of these other shifts as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that about my book. I, my really, my goal was to make it just really easy to understand and really just like you're talking to, you know, your teacher friend down the hall, like just right. because I love, I love hearing from the experts and they, you know, we can learn so much from them, but I also love to hear from teachers. And so that's what I want to do is say, okay, here's mm -hmm. the research and let me, you know, explain it the best I can. And then here's what I do in my classroom. Here's the how. Yes. And I think yeah. that again, that, that applic it's, it's what we say about kids, right here, we're teaching the phonemic awareness and phonics, but we need that application, yeah. <laughs> right? We need to give them the opportunity to apply that learning. And it's the same with the research, right? We can, we can read the research. We can understand how our brain learns to read, but then we're also working with humans. And so what does this actually look like in a classroom with little kiddos and, you know, maybe 29 kids, maybe, you know, 20. But what does this look like as we start to actually implement that? So I cannot thank you enough for creating such a, again, a meaningful resource and easy read, but so powerful, so much great information. And for being a guest today, we really appreciate learning from you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our upcoming episodes where we explore literacy topics in a snack-sized, easily digestible format.